today's podcast, we dig into Magic's role with the Lakers, other than just torching them on television and what the offseason could look like. Mikhail Bridges from the best team in the NBA, one of the stars of the Phoenix Suns. We works the story. We crashed as a television show on Apple and the co-creators, Lee Eisenberg and Drew Cravello join us. And we've got a really weird life advice. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. I want to start with a tradition unlike any other, and that's television stations calling on Magic Johnson saying, hey, do you want to pour some jet fuel on the fucking Lakers? And he's like, yep. How many shows can I do? So let's run through some of this Lakers stuff, which is going to be news, and it's going to continue to be news throughout the playoffs, the draft, free agency. It's just not going away, so why don't I jump in as well? So Magic goes on a bunch of the ESPN shows, and his basic goal is, is one thing. When things go wrong with the Lakers, he wants Lakers fans to know that he would have done it differently and that none of this is on him. And in a weird way, I guess it isn't. But at the same time, he's still advising the team all the time. It's a very different different role. And I just think it's odd in general. Like, we're so numb to it because he's been doing it for such a long time. And yeah, he's got a big ego. If I were Magic Johnson in L.A., guess what? I'd have a massive ego, too. If there's somebody that's allowed to have a big ego, I think Magic Johnson is okay to do it. But that's also what drives a lot of this stuff. It's just very odd. And I could think of like a comp that doesn't make any sense because it'd be impossible to imagine it. But imagine if Larry Bird lived in the Boston area and every six months would go on ESPN and be like, I don't know why they took Romeo Langford. Guy sucks. Like, yeah, I don't know about this trade. Derek White and give up another first back to back years if the Celtics weren't playing well. Like, that would just be so weird. But we're just so used to it with magic. We're like, oh, wait, he's doing this again. And he did it. And he did it big time. And he actually got a lot of stuff wrong. So he said that he got a call from uh, DeMar DeRozan's agent, that he would have brought in DeMar DeRozan. He would have done that deal. The Lakers would have brought him home. He wanted to come home. But it was LeBron's fault because Westbrook's there, which it is LeBron's fault that Westbrook is with the Lakers. So part of this is that Magic's telling you that he gets the call from the agent as if the agent, an NBA agent who has a client like DeMar DeRozan doesn't have a cell phone number for anyone that makes decisions with the Lakers. But that's also part of the sell job here, too. First of all, we know the Lakers had no cap space. The the most they could offer DeRozan was five point nine million, which was the taxpayers mid-level, which was not going to happen because DeRozan was going to get over 20 million. And by the way, he ended up signing over uh, a three year deal with the Bulls, 82 million to 85 million with some of the bonuses or incentives. So. That wasn't going to work, right? I'm just throwing it out there so that we understand. And by the way, with DeRozan, let's not have, because he's been awesome this year. He's, most of us thought that deal didn't make any sense. Three years, $82 million for some of the that much older. Not many of us like that deal. So now everybody's going back being like, oh, we should have brought in DeRozan. And by the way, there's still years left on the deal. It's kind of that weird thing that will happen in baseball sometimes where a guy gets like a six-year deal that all of us think is terrible and he goes three for four on opening day. People are like, well, thought this was a bad deal. And you're like, you know, we got like six years to go on this one, guys. Let's see how it goes. But so far, DeRozan has proven everybody wrong. And the sign and trade that the Bulls made with San Antonio wasn't exactly like a, a, a war chest of assets. It was Thaddeus Young, a first couple seconds. So maybe the Lakers could have done that. 
Um, not impossible, certainly, if they wanted to include Kuzma in some kind of deal. But then we've got to ask ourselves, did the Spurs want Kuzma? Kuzma's money isn't crazy. As soon as he signed his contract, they're like, actually, you're going to get traded now because it's a very tradable contract. Kuzma on his best days is a really good player. On his worst days, you're not quite sure how he fits in. So maybe San Antonio would have done some sort of sign and trade with the Rosen. Um, the picks part of this is pretty light, though, for the Lakers because we understand all the picks they include in the Anthony Davis deal. So let's say that's a possibility. The part where Magic continues on, <laughs> he he was like, yeah, but I also would have done the Buddy Heald deal. And we're like, well, who the fuck were you trading for Buddy Heald if you were doing a sign and trade with DeRozan? And then he said he would have kept Caruso and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. You're like, well, wait, you can't do these things. At that point, they'd been hard capped um, with the, the AD and LeBron deals and then just sort of magically keeping everybody and some DeRozan extension that would have been in the 20s. So none of that made any sense. And he had no problem just saying all the stuff that would have happened. Uh, but this isn't new. This isn't new. And if I'm a Lakers fan, I, I wonder if you go, I think he thinks that people will go, and maybe a lot of Lakers fans do. They're like, yeah, he's right. We could have had DeRozan. Like, do you see what Magic said? Man, we screwed this up. Too bad Magic isn't in charge again. And you're like, yeah, but the guy that just said he would have done all these things, like, I think he just was talking. You know, I don't know that it's that he doesn't understand what some of the rules are. That seems to be a little aggressive, but I don't I, I don't know. Like, I, I check with a cap guy, too. I'm like, wait, none of this makes any sense. He's like, collectively, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And to add to the magic conversation to this, do you remember what he was saying when the Lakers did get Russell Westbrook? Let's go over some of the tweets. Laker Nation, a blockbuster trade that's bringing Russell Westbrook to the Lakers is very exciting. It will definitely make the Lakers a championship contender next season. With Westbrook joining LeBron and AD, the Lakers now have their version of the big three. All we need now is a couple of shooters would be tough to beat. Actually, I'll uh, agree with that part of it. Um, also in July of last year, Russell Westbrook is the most electric player in the NBA today, and Staples Center will be on fire next season. Well, on fire may actually be correct for a different reason. Let's look at the rest of the roster, at least the pieces that we can talk about here. Anthony Davis trades. I still like Anthony Davis. I feel like less and less people agree with me on that one. If you want to say that he's inconsistent, he's hurt all the time, he's soft, he doesn't quite have that alpha edge, I'll agree with you on all those things. Um, but the best the best case scenario for the Lakers is to get Anthony Davis back, which I don't think at his age is impossible if he figures out the right training regimen. Or maybe he'll be hurt the rest, the rest of his days and, and it'll be a huge disappointment and a, and a career unfulfilled and all of those things, all right? Uh, LeBron doesn't win a title without him, and we know that AD didn't do anything down in New Orleans without a guy like LeBron, all right? So they needed each other. Everybody needs somebody in the NBA. But if you're thinking of Anthony Davis trades, it's a little bit more complicated because of the LeBron factor, right? You can't just trade Anthony Davis for picks to recoup some of the picks you sent to New Orleans or young players coming back. LeBron's not interested in any of those things. He's not. So that limits kind of what you're able to do. There's one very consistent rule that can be broken at times, but it's fairly consistent in the NBA that teams, when they have established players, do not like to trade their established players for other established players that may be dealing with some sort of problem. When Paul George was available to everyone, the Pacers back then when he wanted out of Indiana, they called everyone in the league. I talked to multiple teams about it, and they were like, yeah, you know, Paul George being offered everybody here because they know that they're screwed, and he's telling everybody he's out of there that he wants to play for the Lakers, and, you know, it's it's not going to happen. And a couple of the trades that I heard about, I remember talking to one team in particular where I was like, well, he, Paul George is better than the guys that you'd be sending out. And they go, yeah, yeah, but here's the thing is we're adding Paul George to our crew that's already established. We are not trading our non-problems that are established for a new problem that isn't established with us. And who knows what Paul George is going to do? Cause that guy changed his mind like three or four times within a few months. Um, let's be fair, maybe a year and a half. Right? So 
if you're saying Anthony Davis isn't healthy, LeBron wants to do something else, where's the trade where you're trading him for established pieces that are coming back so the other team is restarting what they're doing with somebody that has injury concerns? So yes, there could be a third team where the picks go to the other team, Davis goes to one, and then some established guys go somewhere else. But those trades kind of don't really happen that much. Again, not impossible. Impossible is not a word that we like to use in the NBA when we talk about trades, and that segues perfectly into Russell Westbrook. Because at $47 million and one year left, there's some stuff you could do. But it's really difficult because you're probably adding an asset on top of everything else to send Russell Westbrook out. So what what do you have that's ready to compete and who's established that exists that a team is willing to trade? Now, I think LeBron and the crew wanted to do the John Wall deal because they felt like just getting Westbrook out of here is an improvement. And I would agree with that part, but again, it's still their fault he was there in the first place. But that's the other problem with the Westbrook trade is it's not just that you're trading this guy with an incredible individual resume, right? You're trading somebody who looks in the mirror and still sees a superstar. And his stubbornness is what has made him such a a productive player who will one day be in the Hall of Fame. But if you have a young team, and Orlando always gets brought up all the time, right? Like, think of the stale teams. Hell, we could even throw Houston back in this. OKC would be part of this, too, because some people wonder, like, would Presti, if you threw in a pick in 2027, would he be willing to do this? Would he figure out some way, like, hey, bring Westbrook back? Westbrook with a bunch of young players as you're actually like on year two or three of your rebuild doesn't make a lot of sense either. To have all of your young players that are lottery picks watching him run up and down the court and chuck it up 20 times, is that really what a lot of teams will want that feel like, yeah, we might not be any good, but do we want to disrupt whatever development we hope to build here with somebody like Westbrook? So that complicates that as well. It's going to get weird, all right? And LeBron has already hinted at some of the stuff where he said on the shop he wanted to play with Steph Curry. He said that he wanted to play with Luka. This is, I imagine, some version of him presenting leverage to the Lakers because LeBron has consistently done this at every stop. He wants to put pressure on ownership and management. He doesn't think that anybody will ever act to the to the limits of, of their abilities, right? To the, the absolute ceiling, pushing it, being like, we need to win, we need to win. And I disagree with this, by the way. I think teams all want to win. But he feels like unless there is a threat of him deciding to do something, that teams never, um, the owners will not be as all in unless they feel threatened. And that's why he hinted at the Steph stuff, which, you know, I, I didn't make a ton of sense. The Doncic part, it's like, wait, do I want to bring this guy in? I know Windhorse had a thing about the Clippers. Look, when LeBron tried to recruit Kawhi to come as a free agent, Kawhi wasn't really vibing with LeBron whatsoever and didn't want to go with him and decided to do his own thing. And the other thing, when you start talking about certain players that you build around and say, okay, I'm going to dump all of these draft picks in the future because I want to bring in players now to support our current guy. If LeBron's in his early 30s, you can kind of understand that. But even with LeBron, there's some kind of risk. You know, there's a version of this Clippers thing, which I completely understand, and everybody would do getting Kawhi and Paul George. But down the road, they may look at this going, look at these unprotected picks and what a disaster this ended up being. That could happen to them. When you look at Milwaukee training for Drew Holiday, that one makes a little bit more sense because I think you get the feeling that Giannis is a more content player. And that's also another weird topic that's entirely different. But we have a lot of the American players that seem to get really unhappy very quickly where it feels like some of the foreign players are better bets to build around because you feel like there's less of a threat of them deciding they want to bounce. I mean, look at the names and look at the history of the players of the last decade that have forced their way out. A lot of the foreign guys seem to be a lot more happier about it. So I don't even know what that means. But there's a there's a summary on all of this, right, with LeBron James, and it's simple. 
as you get a little bit older, and he's going to make a push here for the scoring title, and he sat out games. I'm a little surprised by this because he's going to end up getting crushed by it. And I think a lot of times that they they calculate their moves, they try to do things that gets him the least amount of criticism. And in a way, him sitting out games where they were still eligible for the play-in, but now eliminated. And now he's going to push for the scoring title, which is now behind Embiid as Embiid's continue to be on this tear for the MVP. He's going to end up getting crushed for this stuff if he's playing specifically and loading up and trying to get points at the end of the season. Like he's going to get crushed, but maybe he's only going to get cr- crushed by the people that were already crushing him. But it's a lot like a relationship. And unfortunately, with LeBron and the Lakers, this is getting towards the end of the relationship. We're in the beginning of a relationship. All the weird stuff is still kind of cute because you're so excited. But at the end of it, you get sick of it really quickly. And that's going to be the standoff between player and franchise. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking, and they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. Mikhail Bridges of the Phoenix Suns joins us. Uh, this podcast has been very pro-Suns. Uh, I have always been a longtime Chris Paul fan. I think your team is terrific. We know the numbers, the clutch numbers and all the stuff, the one seed, the record, all of it. Um, you were in the finals last year. How good is this year's team compared to last year? Um, dude, even better. And um, I remember kind of saying that preseason and Kind of beginning of the season, I'm just looking around. I'm just like, all right, just the vibe and just people getting better and adding more people. I was just like, all right, this team got better than last year. And it's crazy to say that because we were really good last year. So, um, but now, especially like getting Craig back for a deadline and Aaron and stuff like that is just, it's, yeah, it's crazy how we're a better team than we were last year. We were pretty damn good. Yeah, you are. You are that. Uh, was there was there a goal to play all 82 games for you this year? Because you're on pace for it, right? Uh, yes. I mean, that's a goal every year. That's goal, whatever season I'm, I'm in, wherever I'm at, just to play every game. I, I just, I think that's just normal, just to play and be available and you know obviously injuries is part of the game but if I feel like I'm fine enough to play I'll play did you were you like hey how come everybody got to sit against the Clippers except for me after you everybody (laughs) everybody played against the Lakers no 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 I just I was just coaching them just you know obviously on the streak is alive um just Keep me, you let me play. Um, which, yeah, I mean, if I'm not injured, I'll, I'll see why I wouldn't play. But obviously, minutes is low. But I, you know, I appreciate coaching staff and them just keep me out there. 
AD had said some stuff about, hey, if we weren't hurt, uh, no team wants to hear that on the other side. And you guys were really good last year, so we're not sure what would have happened. Was there a extra motivation maybe to have everybody play in the Lakers game and then sit against the Clippers? Uh, I mean, I think everybody got their own added motivation, I guess, when we play them or any other team. But no, I mean, that's just, you say that about everything, it's just life, you know, just injuries, stuff is a part of the game. Um, you just go back to every year, playoffs, championships, and stuff when people go down, and you never know what could have happened with things with that. So, I think it's just part of the game. Um, and he knows that, but I mean, I, I don't I don't blame him for saying that. I feel like if it was a situation like that, here and I feel like a couple of my key players on the team went down and you know we didn't have them for the whole year I feel like I would probably say the same thing What clicked for you? Was there a moment where you know you get in the league you're a lottery pick and you're finding your way it's clear right away like okay this guy's going to have a long career but was there a moment in your career was the specific stretch of games during a season where you're like okay you know what I'm actually going to be good like this is going to work out um, um, I I think my man, maybe my rookie year had a stretch where um I was playing pretty well. Maybe like a little road trip game where I was just like constantly scoring a good amount. I think defense. I always I'm always mindful about defense every time I'm out there. So that's nothing I really stress. It's just trying to. Especially when Ricky try to find shots and make shots and stuff like that. And I think there's a little stretch when I was on a road. I think we played like San Antonio, um, Toronto. And yeah, I think it was a couple of them games. And actually, the Toronto game, I got Siakam gave me a game winner too. So I always remember that. Because that just ruined all scoring I had that day. It was just defeated because I gave up a game winner. So. I think it was a little stretch there where I was scoring a little bit. And it kind of, you know, made me felt pretty good. And the defense has always been there, too. Uh, Draymond Green said recently he thinks you should be Defensive Player of the Year. What was your reaction to that? Just, man, just being, being a big fan of Draymond and, um, you know, actually, you know, getting to know him a little bit more now and being cool with him is dope. But I just, it's just funny how people always go against him because of his knowledge and they don't think the game like him. And I just remember tweeting something um, during the USA where I think he had a, a shot or whatever, but drove and it created for KD for a three. And I remember, I think maybe some some social media account posted it and was trying to clown Draymond for not taking open this open shot or whatever and I'm just like how can you even say something like this when you just watch the old clip and it, it, everything he did led to Kevin Durant shooting a wide open three catch and shoot three so I'm just like I don't know how you're going to clown a person for his IQ so I've always been a fan and I feel like that's just you know he knows I mean he does it all you know what I'm saying um, I'm actually he's just he's part of it for even for me being in this convo for how many games he missed. So he's kind of helped me 
you know, be up there to race because he's really not eligible right now. So, but uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's dope for him to say that, man. Um, definitely means a lot. I was in, in prepping for this. I was like, okay, I want to look at some of the defensive stuff um, specific. So I was watching all your Doncic matchups in the most recent game that you played against them. I think it was the most recent one. And, you know, he's, He's your primary assignment when you play them, but obviously you're going to get switched off of a million times. Is that is that accurate? Like when when you're lining up and saying who do you got? Like Doncic is yours, but they're going to run so many high pick and rolls with them. Like you kind of have to figure out how many times you're going to be able to stay with them and how you're going to get switched off of a bunch. Correct? Yeah, for sure. Okay, what do you do when it's somebody like Doncic, knowing that okay, I'm going to get screened all night. And what I do love about you, and I've, I've always noticed this, and maybe you'd agree with me, I'm shocked how many defenders lose their man still, even at the NBA level. I know you play a million games. Guys can have some lazy habits. Yeah. You are constantly, when you get switched off of him, you still always kind of keep yourself, you know, man, you ball, that kind of stuff where you're like, all right, I still am not going to lose track, and I still have to maybe help back to Doncic, even though I get switched off of him. What do you kind of yeah. run through your checklist of, okay, these are all the things that I have to remind myself being matched up against somebody like that? Uh, yeah, um, that's what makes it so tough. Just um, guys like that, like Luca and them, just you got to always be aware of them on the court. Um, and I don't think it's – obviously I want to guard him and be the guy, but, you know, at the same time, just how we are as a team and, you know, we're trying to win. And I know he's the key player. He's the head of the snake. And um, the team defense is knowing, like, all right, even if I switch off of them, I want to be guarding them, but I just got to always keep an eye because in a shot clock or something like that, it's going to come back to him, and he's going to make the play. And I just, you know, rather have somebody else, you know, make that play rather than him just because how really good he is. And it's just all team defense, man. Just just our knowing what we have to do and just our coaching staff Helping with the scouts and kind of us as players taking the game and knowing who we, what guys would rather shoot, you know, at the end of the clock than not. He got you in the post, uh, which, and I'm not saying like as a criticism, it's Luca, the size, and you got him a couple times. It looked like he wanted to go right back at you. Did he say something to you? Because uh, you, he, he always thinks he's fouled, which we both know. Um, but when he yeah. finished, did, did he say something to you after he finished you, after you had stopped him the previous time? Um, no, not that I know of. I think I, he probably was hyped up. I think I remember what you were talking about. But, I mean, that's just part of the game. Just, you know, he got the N one. He was, yeah, like all teed up, which is fine. But, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just kind of, it's always just great battles between me and him, and it's always a respect thing where I just make it tough on him, and then you make it tough on me. And there's plays, you know, where I play really well, you know, get him frustrated. And then there's times where he's Luka Doncic and he's going to, you know, get a bucket how he how he is in, in any way. And um, it's just the spirit, just some compet- competing in both of us. So, yeah, like, I, yeah, he probably scored and got hyped and yelled, which is perfectly fine because then, because on the other hand, if I get a key stop or do something, I'm the first one to yell and scream too, so. I already, I already know how that goes. And I wanted to make sure I pointed out that you had gotten him on the previous ISO because he was trying to just I know. I hammer I you. I, right. I, <laughs> I just, I didn't want to be like, 
you're talking to your PR people being like, this dude woke me up this early on the West Coast to tell me I got fucking beasted in the post by John. Like, who's, who's this guy? Um, because look, we, we know how good you are defensively. But if you look back to that bubble stretch, you're terrific, you know, to close. We're not sure if it's real or not. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, they were 14 under 500, something like that. The whole season's weird. We get it. And then Chris Paul comes in. What's, what's the most impressionable thing that Chris said to you once he shows up? He's your teammate. Like something that maybe you... You'll never forget a story you tell your buddies about the first time you get to experience playing with Chris Paul. Um, oh, my biggest thing with C is just when he, especially when he first got here, is how much he talks. You know, like I've never been around a player that consistently talks throughout the whole game and just on defense, on offense. He's just, he's just, man, he's just. I don't know, maybe like a perfectionist. He just he's, he wants to every single play. Like it's it's crazy. I was just like, dang, he's. I don't know how he's doing all this. It's still talking, and even if you mess up once, he's let you know. And I'm like, I like to keep guys accountable and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I've never been around somebody that talks so much and is constantly just knows so much about the game and what he's saying. Just stuff you know, maybe think about sometimes. And it makes you think the game even more. And, you know, I think I, I feel like I'm a pretty smart player and just not understand the game. But he, he'll come with some stuff where I, I'm, I'm even to myself just like, that makes so much sense. I don't even think of it like that. And that, like how he thinks is just so simple to him. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Is there an example from a game? Is there anything you can share with us? Like something you were like, oh, wow. Like, I, you know, only he thought of that. Oh my god! Uh, nah, right now I can't think of something because right because right now it's kind of see now I'm at the stage where what he I've been around so much and so now he's oh he's he, my mind is starting to think like him so it's like now whatever he says I I know because he's been telling me for a whole year two years now, so now I'm starting to think like CP, and I, I feel like I got smarter deal with him, so that's a big compliment to give to him, but it's so hard, because it was really last year, he would say some stuff, I'm just sitting there like, dang, that does, but now stuff he says now, and even more, I'm like, hell yeah, like, I know that now, like, because of you, you know, like, he says, like, little stuff that I didn't know before, I'm, I'm the one, maybe, just if, when he was out, or something like that. I'm the one telling somebody, you know, what he usually would tell me. And it's just like, I learned from him, but I, I, I really wish I had something like I could really just, that really, like, he told me something. I was really like, damn, that, I didn't even think of something like that. I really I, I, I think of that. I'm pissed. I, I put you on the spot. It's early, too. So let's, uh, if something pops in. I, 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 I watch it come back to me later. It's going to make me think about it. And I'm going <laughs> to see him later and I'm going to look at him and it's probably going to pop up. I already know. All right. Well, look, if it, it, interrupt me if something comes up that you want to remind us of. Um, I have a few more things I want to get to here, but you mentioned I can't imagine playing in a league and then checking social media. I just I just can't. I know you guys do it. I know you guys do it at halftime. How hard was it for you to check out anything after the finals last year? Um, I mean, not, not crazy. I just feel like I don't know, just owning up. You know, I think that's a, I think that's the biggest thing personally. Um, I ain't gonna speak for everybody, 
But I just feel like just in a world or up makes things a little bit better if you kind of try to put it to the side and not try to look at things. It's kind of just going to do on you a little bit more. Um, and obviously, I was upset when we lost, but I just feel like, you know, like nothing to really obviously be upset and take it to the next year, but I don't, nothing to really hang our heads up on, you know. I don't think we had a hell of a year, you know. It's something we did was very special and how close we are as a team is just is not usual. So even when we lost, I just, you know, I was just, I was upset, frustrated, but I just took time and just realized, man, just like we had a hell of a year and we had fun and, you know, it's life, you know, um, you know I've been in championships and I've won and I've lost and it's just, you know, it's a part of life, man. You just try your best and, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and it's just it's, I'm just, it's just part of life. And I just I just kind of know that, and life goes on, because you can learn from it. And uh, I think that's what we're doing right now. How motivated then do you think this group has been? Like, how how much do you think this year's play? It's a really good team. You're deeper. It's another year of everybody understanding their roles and everything. But the bitterness of, of losing, even though it was a great season, how much do you think that has, has fueled what we've seen from the team this year? Um, for sure. It's just a lot of added motivation and he's got a lot of players, man, just do a lot of proof, a lot of proof. And we're just, I heard playing for each other. Um, I just feel like it, it's not obviously that simple, but I think it's simple to us where we just got there, we play for each other, we play hard and we let a game. And we let it compete. Um, you know, we try to be the best team we can be. And obviously our end goal is to win it all. But, you know, it takes, you know, it takes steps. You know, regular season is step one. And then just repairing round by round. Um, but, yeah, we're all motivated, man. We all got something to prove. And we we just all want to win. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is there's nothing. Obviously, we all care about what, each other do, you know, this about stats or stuff like that. But our whole thing, man, is every single guy wants to win. And it, it's not one guy that just wants to go out there and just be selfish and get the numbers and, and that's it. You know, they just, everybody wants to win. And that's what makes it so close and makes it so much fun to be out there. Yeah. And that's also why, you know, Jay has his role. Booker's been amazing. And Aiton is is the kind of modern big that you can keep on the floor, which is which is a big part. I and mean, he had some stretches last year in the playoffs. You're like, all right, what's this guy's ceiling? This is gonna be incredible. Um, coming into the league and and being teammates with Aiton for this long, how worried are you about where he could be after the season's over? Um, yeah, I mean, I can't really talk too much about it, but obviously, my biggest thing is that he should be here and uh, so to do whatever it takes to keep him here. Um, he's just got better, you know, all throughout everything as a person, as a player, uh, really matured. And um, I know he wants to be here as well. So that's, that's not to really speak upon. I took a swing at it. I had to. So uh, I, <laughs> I had to, you know, look, I, I totally get it, though. All right. Final thought on this. Everybody knows the story about being drafted by the Sixers, the family connection of the whole deal, your connection to the area. And then, you know, it was like, oh, no, I'm on, I'm on Phoenix. We've been over this. Um, do, you, do you ever have mm-hmm. moments like I'd imagine in the moment you probably weren't thrilled 
but then to see how it worked out. Can you kind of take us through that as we finish here, the the full circle of emotions of of maybe not getting what you thought you wanted at the time to now being a situation where it probably couldn't be much better? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, when I got drafted, I definitely was frustrated. Um, you know, I kind of looked myself in the mirror days after just because I felt like I wasn't being as grateful as I should. You know, I always dreamed about being an NBA as a kid and not to just be the NBA, but being a green room and to go top 10 is just something I couldn't even think that would ever happen. Um, and me being just so caught up with my feelings and my heart and wanting to be home uh, got me all screwed up when I got traded because I didn't think that would, that would happen. Um, and yeah, man, I had to look myself in the mirror, bro, and just tell myself, just like, you know, what am I, what am I really upset about? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, who cares? You want to go home, but it's life. You, you're top 10, you're, you're going to a city where a team traded for you and they want you here. Like, why are you even, why are you remotely upset about this? You know, like, this is a dream. This is top 10. And, it made me realize, like, bro, I got to be more grateful. And obviously, I'm grateful in life for other things. But stuff like that, I'm like, it kind of, I had to look myself in the mirror. But like, come on, man, you can't, you can't be upset about not going where you wanted to go. You know, you went top 10. That is a blessing. You know, people fight every day to even get a, just a 10-day or or be in a G League or stuff like that. And, um I was I was I was I was upset with myself with that for even letting that get to me, but um, yeah, man, I was upset. And then once I realized everything and how much you know they gave up and what they wanted to do, I was excited. Did I think we were gonna be where we're at this fast? You won't be honest, hell nah. But hey, <laughs> so that's that's the that's the James Jones up there and bringing in Mont and how he changed the culture so fast and getting the pieces, drafting, you know, you know, getting Cam Johnson and then C Payne coming out of nowhere, coming back in the league, hooping and, you know, obviously getting C P and Jay is just, you know, credit to them, man. And I'm just happy I'm a part of it. And I wouldn't want if, if I go back to draft night, I'll let the I'll let the same shit happen again, bro. Trade me, let me go to Phoenix. Like this is this is great how I was getting how the story's getting written right now, and I'm enjoying every moment of it. And yeah, man, you deserve it. And you got that extension. Uh, you put up numbers. People taking taking notice. And I love watching this team play. So I'm happy for you, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment and available lounge sheets that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Earlier on this podcast, we talked to the authors of The Cult of We, the story of WeWork. We Crash is now on Apple TV. Five episodes in, three more to go. It comes out every Friday. I encourage you to check it out. The co-creators, Lee Eisenberg and Drew Cravello, join us now on the podcast. Um, all right, look, I love the show. I love the story. I love all this kind of stuff. I feel like we're in this kind of like sinister CEO phase of content that's been going on for a couple of years, and this is one of my favorite stories. So honestly, I'll let you 
either one of you jump in kind of at the start here. Let's start from concept. Like, give me the idea of either reading the book, the podcast with Wondery, the whole, all the IP that's out there, and then going like, okay, this is a show. How do we get this made? So, Lee, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'd known the Wondery guys for years, and they called me out of the blue and said, hey, we have a podcast that we're, that we're putting out about, uh, about WeWork. Uh, we'd love for you to listen to it early on. If you're interested, let's try to set it up as a TV show. And I was like, great. And I had read a few articles about, uh, about WeWork at that point, and I devoured the episodes that they were sending me. And I was like, the thing that I was kind of most excited about was this love story at the center of it between Adam and Rebecca. They just seemed like such fascinating characters. And I was kind of rooting for them at times. I was laughing at, I was laughing with them. I was laughing at them. I was just like, there was just so much there. And Drew's one of my best friends. And we, we were looking to do something together. And I, we, t- we ended up taking this walk in Beverly Hills. And I had sent up the podcast and we both just started talking about it. And it was just one of those things where it just, you know, we had been reading each other's scripts. And, you know, again, we obviously shared very similar sensibilities. We just kind of kept coming back to this core relationship at the center of it. And it just felt like it clicked. And so I have a deal at Apple. We brought it into Apple and they were just, they were just excited about the podcast and kind of the IP. And we just kind of went off on our own and started working on it. And it was right. That was January of 2020. Right. Yeah. And then, and it just kind of went from there and we just started working on it. The pandemic happened. We started working remotely. (laughs) I mean, it was a, it was a crazy weird way to kind of get a project uh, off the ground just the timing of it and lee and i have worked in the business for you know 20 plus years we turned in our pilot right our first episode and our story bible right which kind of lays out what the series is on a friday and apple greenlit it to series on a monday so it was just the whole thing's been kind of a rocket ship from that walk we took till now is as about as fast as a process as a project can move through uh, through Hollywood. How different is it writing for a pilot that we already know the story versus just something you're creating out of thin air? Other than it's a way easier to get it made when everybody knows, but like the, the creative process of telling a story that's been told versus one you're making up. You know, it's both um, it's both easier and harder, right? It's easier in the sense of you've got these kind of milestones, right? Like even when we looked at the whole series, the whole, uh, you know, the whole story, we knew from day one, when they get that $4 billion, that's the midpoint, right? That's like the hinge that this whole story can turn on. So you kind of have these kind of goal, these posts that you can put in about this is the beginning, this is the middle, this is the end. That said, since we're trying to roughly you know, to kind of stick at least to an artistic truth, you also can't just put in any event or scene that you want. So you have to be kind of creative within these constraints. So anyway, it's both in, it's both easier and harder. I would also say that, I mean, you know, you have these, like Drew said, you have these moments that you're kind of, you're kind of barreling towards, but what's different, you know, from a podcast or from a documentary versus what we're doing is, you're filling in all of the scenes that exist where like, but why did they do that? Why is he someone that like a billion dollars is enough? He says he wants to be a trillionaire. Why is she someone that's like this? Like, and when you start kind of creating those psychological profiles, those are the same exercises that you end up doing with, um, 
you know, if you're creating a character from whole cloth. And so for us, as much as much as, as there exists of Adam, you just you keep you have to keep scraping underneath the surface to kind of find the emotional truth of these people. And we weren't interested in doing something where it's like, oh, every we're trying to do a hit piece on them. And we weren't kind of trying to say like, oh, <laughs> every every story should be we crashed and that, you know, look at Adam, what a, what, a, what a genius he made 47, you know, his company was valued at this crazy valuation. We wanted to be three dimensional and to do that. It just takes a lot of work. What I really like about the pilot, maybe I'm guilty of, you know, consuming so much of the content already through wondering the book, but I think sometimes when you're writing a pilot, you're, if you're trying to sell the story that hasn't been sold before, I'm not just talking about like the economic part of selling, but selling the pitching it where you're like, okay, how do I balance all these great things that I want to put in the pilot? Cause there's no point in saving something for shit. That's not going to get made versus I, I don't have to, you know what I mean? Like I don't have to do it. And what I do like about the pilot is that, yeah, in the beginning we get a sense of them forward in the timeline of like, this is where we're at. Now we're going to back it up. And so I, I know that's, that's a process that's used a lot, but I, I'd have to think that there's some kind of storytelling advantage knowing we don't have to, we don't have to swing at like every single scene to get somebody to buy into this. And clearly that's not the case because I, I, I mean, to have it turn around that quickly is amazing. Yeah, you're saying given that it's a true story that you kind of can can that, that you have that to kind of draft off of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, um, you know, not everyone is completely familiar with this story, right? Both in the audience and even at Apple. So we really kind of went in presuming people knew nothing. So we kind of approached the pilot assuming that even the executives we were trying to kind of get to green like this, let alone the audience, that they hadn't seen the doc, that they hadn't read any books, that maybe they caught a headline when this was going down, but maybe they hadn't. So we really kind of looked at this as, what if no, if, if you know nothing about this, how can we still tell a fascinating story that anyone would enjoy? I think we covered it then. Cause I feel like I asked the same question twice. Uh, Getting Jared Leto to sign off on this, how did that happen? Um, WME, our agency, my agency, um, sent it to him. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, when you're, when you're starting to write something and writing is really long and tedious and uh, filled with uncertainty, you often fantasize about the future because sometimes it's easier than actually doing the writing. So it's like, well, if we ever get it made, you know, it would be incredible. It'd be, you know, Jared Leto. You know, you start kind of putting together the pieces and you're like, oh, well, he can do this and he can do that. And um, it's more fun to cast it in your head than it is to actually write. Yeah, exactly. And so we we talked about Jared from I mean, we talked about Jared probably on that first walk. I mean, it was just kind of something he ticked off all the boxes for us. It's like some of the adjectives that we were talking about with Adam. It's like messianic. Yeah, he's messianic. He's a rock star. He can, you know, he's charming. He's charismatic. He's handsome. And so it was like all of these things. And it was like, oh, okay, Jared Leto, sure. And the thing about Jared is he just disappears into every role. He just takes these crazy swings and just becomes somebody else. I mean, it's really, it's incredible. And so he read the script and Jared is, you know, in his own right, he's an investor. Like he knows the tech world more intimately than we do. And so we started talking about it and it just become, became one of those things where all of the conversations were so aligned. I mean, he was like, I'm not interested in taking down this guy. I want to kind of find the humanity behind him. And it was so in line with where we, you know, where we were. And the interesting thing with both with Jared and with Annie is that 
you know, they, they sign on to a movie script and they read the whole script. With this, we send them 60 pages and a very, you know, a pretty looking Bible that, you know, we hired a graphic designer to add some pictures. Which but we like, don't think they ever read, by the way. Yeah, but like, <laughs> so he read 60 pages, which ultimately ended up being a 480 page. If you're talking about like the number of pages that Drew and I and our writers generated, close to 500 pages he read 60 pages and then me and drew you know talking somehow he was like okay i believe in you guys enough that i'll i'll go on this journey and do tv for the first time and and sign on to it It was the same thing with annie it's like you really had to make such a leap of faith and ryan like you were you were talking about the pilot as kind of like it's kind of a sales document right it's a sales document to the company that you're trying to you're hoping will green light it it's a sales it's a sales tool to the audience that you're hoping will go on this journey with you. But it's also kind of a, a sales tool for the actors, right? That this is what they're using to base their decision on. And the one thing I think we did right was we were able in the pilot to, to give a glimpse of these two crazy, fascinating, flawed, strange people that Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway were like, I want to know more about them. Who are these people? And that really began this conversation. Yeah, before I get to Anne, because she's, in a way, she's, I don't want to like rank them, you know, sports guy over here, but like I have her one of my power rankings for We Crash. Jared's, you know, a solid two. Um, is he a 1A or is he 1A or two? <laughs> but Jared, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know that much about it. The only Jared Little story I have is I was doing a remote from the national championship for college football in Arizona, and we were doing it before the pregame. So it was me three hours live, and his band played in the parking lot, and he was swearing nonstop. And then we're a Disney company, so that's not a huge fit. And you could hear it over the, like, he didn't know what the hell was going on. We're just a tent with some ESPN logos up. And then they were like, hey, we got to figure out some way on the feedback on this because, like, they're not supposed to be on right now. I was like, I have a hard time believing that a PA from ESPN radio is going to be able to tell Jared Little's manager to like, hey, could you guys give it, give it us another hour over here? Um, so I, I hear these stories about him as an actor, you know, how engrossed in all of it he becomes, the method part of it. This is different than than playing the Joker, certainly. Um, but what is your experience? What's real about how much he invests in a character that definitely is a character in Adam Newman? Well, I mean, Lee and I talk about this all the time. You know, we spoke to Jared in the development process when we were talking him through what the story would be. We spoke to Jared Leto for about four months until the day we started shooting, and the day we started shooting. We started with a couple of Annie scenes that day, and then Adam Newman walked onto the set, and he was not Jared Leto. We did not address him as Jared Leto, and we did not speak to Jared for another four and a half months, and then we spoke to him again on the day we wrapped. So that's how immersive it is. I mean, Lee and I, we would do Zooms with him on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday night and talk about script, and it would be accent full character either the video was off or he would be in full character with the video on that's how sort of uncompromising it was and also i mean i'm uh, i'm half israeli my dad's from israel and he just i mean he speaks he was speaking english with an israeli accent and which is what i grew up with i mean all you know all my parents friends were like that and it was just this why you know he'd come on to set i'd say shalom to him he'd say shalom back I mean, I don't think Jared speaks more than eight words in Hebrew, but like we were just, it just kind of felt like, 
it just kind of felt like, okay, this is like an Israeli guy. He had a scene partner uh, who was Israeli and they would just run through lines. And then he was always kind of looking for like those little like specific touches. And the amazing thing is like now that the show's out there in the world, like A, when I had to show it to my dad, that was terrifying. And he gave the seal of approval. And then just like getting the feedback from all of these Israelis. It's funny, like people are, there's a few people on Twitter that are like, his accent sucks. And it's like, all my Israeli friends are like, holy shit, how the fuck did he pull that off? Like, it's incredible. Like, look, when I, you watch Adam Newman in interviews, which I've done also when I was doing yeah. the other stuff, the the cadence, the pacing, the emphasis on oh, the beats, like he, I was like, all right, we'll see how this goes. You know what I mean? Because this can go really bad. As a guy from Boston, as you know, like every now and then you're like, what's John Malkovich doing right now? And, <laughs> you, know, and you go, I'm not, I'm not sure. Or Ray Donovan, I'm like where, what town is his wife from? Like, I've definitely... <laughs> Having grown up in Boston, I've definitely had the experience more with Boston accents where actors are taking swings and they're like doing like, you know, the Casey Affleck and Goodwill hunting impersonation for like for everything. And what Jared did is like really subtle and deft. It's not every word. Like that's what everybody has to understand. Like whenever you're doing accents, you can't do it every word. You know, that's always been the Boston one. And I... I thought he look, I think is his pacing a lot of it. I think it's a lot of Adam Newman. And it's it's funny because yeah, research of the interview, then it's like, you know, some were critical of the accent. I was like, oh no shit. I'm like, no kidding. Like, of course somebody's gonna get mad at it. Like there was a Colombian buddy of mine at ESPN that was like, hey, that that Pablo Escobar show on Netflix sucks. And I was like, what? <laughs> like he's from Brazil. <laughs> and I went, okay. I'm like, I apologize for I did not notice that. I was yeah. I was not able to tell the difference between the Brazilian accent. Um, anyway, so, uh, Anne Hathaway, all right, legendary, the whole deal. Uh, but she doesn't get the toys to play with, you know, she doesn't get the same toys with the, the physical part of Jared's character and the accent and all that. She doesn't have the same toys, but I feel like she represents the Rebecca that I learned about through all this, as well as any character in the, in the show. Absolutely. And, and I think she is doing some, some things with her voice. It's super subtle and it's, I mean, she did a lot of yoga study to, you know, to kind of, because yoga's Rebecca uh, was a yoga teacher. I mean, she, she committed just as much, if not more than Jared, just in her own way. And, and I, I mean, I just think her performance is, is jaw dropping. I think the other thing too is to add to that is, you know, they both find their own kind of access points to characters, like what she does with her hair and her wardrobe, like my, uh, my wife, I just got married on Saturday. I haven't said that a lot. My wife, uh, there you go. Congrats. works at, thank you, uh, works at Vanity Fair and is a real fashionista and all of her friends, you know, follows all the blogs and stuff like that. And getting the feedback from that side of it, where like all these women are talking about like, oh my God, that is exactly what Rebecca should have been wearing in 2013. Like Annie was obsessive about, uh, wardrobe and costume and like what, um, what props would like what toys the kids would have and you know what type what type of glassware they'd have in their kitchen so both both Jared and Annie in different ways approach kind of like the creation of the characters it, it, they have their they have their own ways of doing it but it's still they're both incredibly immersive and uh, and just completely you know envelops them what I really like about the way you write it and the way she plays it out too is that the incremental, and I, annoyance would be the wrong word because that's only a sliver of it. It's it's her kind of finding her identity with this new role of this business blowing up. And she's both supportive. Like you don't spend an hour of her, oh, this is the episode she's mad. 
Because in the episode when she's realizing, maybe I don't like my position. Maybe I need more. Maybe, But then she's still a great wife to, to Adam. So I thought that was, you know, brilliant gets thrown around a lot. But I just, I just thought that it was incredibly believable. It was like almost economic in the way that you would use it in the storytelling so that it's incredibly believable by the time she's at episode five where, you know, at the end of it, she's, she's deciding like, I'm, I'm taking over here a little bit and she's pissing everybody off, but it wasn't rushed. It was, I just thought that was really good storytelling because it's such an important part of it because it isn't just Adam. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it, we, we think that that was kind of the story of, of WeWork, right? That like, as she saw it, more and more as a vehicle for her to be what she wanted to be. She kind of insinuated herself more and more. And I think that Rebecca is someone, you know, like I was saying before, it's like you have to create psychological profiles of your characters, right? And so Rebecca is someone who grew up with a lot of wealth and her and her uh, first cousin is, is Gwyneth Paltrow. So imagine what it must feel like to want to be an actress and a person that you see at Thanksgiving every year is winning an Oscar and dating Ben Affleck and like all of these things. And it's like, what must it be like when people are like, so Rebecca, what are you working on? And she ends up leaving acting. She becomes a yoga instructor. She goes to India to study under the Dalai Lama. She's a searcher. And that's something that we really, that we found interesting about the character. And she keeps kind of trying to find her place in the world. And then ironically, she ends up marrying another superstar, a rock star. I mean, the end of episode two is her watching Adam at the JP Morgan uh, conference and Miguel turns to her and goes, some people just have it. And you just, her face in that last eight seconds as the camera slowly pushes in on her, I think she's making a thousand different expressions. I mean, I think she's proud, she's jealous, she's envious, she's angry, she's frustrated, she's happy. And, you know, in episode five, she's at the Time 100 party. And again, she's cast aside and again, watching someone that's so close to her getting all the attention that she so wants for herself. And that to us was such an interesting, that kind of broke it open for us in terms that, of her character. I connected to that scene because I remember going to events with Van Pelt where they would be <laughs> right. like, hey, just can, can, can you the, hold the purse? Can the other guy <laughs> stand a little more further to the way? And I, I had my Rebecca moment after that. I was like, I'll, oh, never, yeah. I'll never let myself feel this way again. Uh, all right. I think there is some part of this because. I, you know, we wanted our, our pound. If we wanted our pound of flesh because of the financial disaster part of this story, this is not the show for you. And I think you guys have been upfront about this, that this is a love story wrapped in a business that that failed. Um, you both. I, I don't know if I, you know, with all the notes that I have, I think maybe Lee, you would compare it to Theranos. And I would agree with you. Elizabeth Holmes was was <laughs> diagnosing people with cancer that didn't have cancer and telling other people they had AIDS. I mean, you know, it was, it was disgusting what she did. Um, but I think Adam clearly knew that this wasn't sustainable, but loved the lifestyle part of it. And I don't know if that's where it goes. Cause obviously I haven't watched the rest of the episodes and I kind of like the once a week thing. It feels old fashioned, but it's kind of look forward to it a little bit. How did you balance you know, you said it before, like this wasn't going to be a hit piece, but the reality that, yeah, it wasn't as criminal as Theranos, but he fucked up. Uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, that was something that we wanted to kind of make as provocative as possible, right? That that really, like, it, this is a series that kind of exists in the gray, 
right? And I think it would have been too easy to just present them as caricatures, right? That would like to easily judge them. I think what we're trying to do here is really kind of ask this dramatic question. Was this guy and was were he and Rebecca, were they idealistic visionaries that went wrong? Or were these cynical opportunists that he just saw a way to make money and how to like wrap it all in this shiny millennial kind of dream and he just kind of exploited people. And that the show is kind of a, an exploration of that. So yeah, it, it, we, we very purposefully wanted to make it gray because it also then makes it bigger than just Adam and Rebecca, right? There's a lot of players in this story and we want people to kind of debate that. Lee? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, Adam, Adam famously did a 12 minute tour of, uh, of we work with Masa, and at the end of it, Masa writes on the on the laptop. It's the end of episode four, four point four billion, and you're like, wow, he's only the the world's greatest salesman would be able to convince someone of giving up four point four billion dollars. And then it's like, well, oh, hold on, let's look at it the other way. What kind of person hears a twelve minute sales pitch and says, you know what, I'm in for four point four billion? <laughs> and all of these people, when you look at all these financial financial institutions. The VCs, the banks, they stand, they take these crazy swings. They love that Adam Newman didn't wear shoes. It's a narrative, right? Like they're all the, the fact he's, he's tall. He has an accent. He has long hair like Jesus. Like there's all this. We talked a lot about FOMO. We talked a lot about all of these banks. Uh, there's a scene coming up where all the banks are kind of competing for WeWork's business. And all of those banks stand to make mi- hundreds of millions of dollars if they just are able to underwrite the, uh, the IPO. And so all of those, all of those mechanics, all of those different institutions, all of those levers of power, that's what the show also is, is hinting at. Like, we didn't want to just tell the story of Adam and Rebecca. You see that all of these institutions that are coming at them, throwing money at them like crazy, like it takes a lot to, to, to be calm and modest. And the fact that Adam is a narcissist, the worst thing that you could ever give Adam Newman is $4.4 billion. You'd think like, oh, okay, like they're, you know, they can buy their way out of this and that, you know, and all Masa says to him is you need to be crazier. Yeah, no, I get that part of it. And then you even to this point have the Jamie Dimon chase scene where he wants a line of credit and they're handing him a, a water bottle. And Jamie <laughs> Dimon's like, instead of 50 million, you need a hundred million. Exactly. Cause you said they want his IPO business later on. So here are the, here are the loans. I mean, all the mortgages and all the loans that he had on all these properties, he's buying them up left and right. Um, it is a little shady though. I would say on the execution of some of the stuff for him to be the only person that was allowed to be doing this against the shares. And I guess there were different parts in the podcast where I was like, how serious can I take this guy when he's pitching Elon Musk? We work on Mars. So, I don't know if that's back to the Masa part where it's like, just be crazier and crazier because there are a lot of people that tell, you know, history, the winners and a lot of the winners are telling you like, I did all these crazy things and made all these decisions. And I think there's another generation of people that are just influenced by that thinking they can do no wrong because the banks haven't cut them off yet. So I get, I get that part of it where it isn't the hit piece. I mean, actually, yeah, the one thing Lee and I, when we first started talking about this and like, and took that, took that first walk, we were going to start this off in in Holland during uh, tulip fever, right? Like, and we were going to then go to the gold rush in California. And then and we were going to kind of jump through these times of, and we we're going to have the same actor play that character throughout time. So we were just going to kind of show that it's, it's both 
it both takes these kind of snake oil salesmen, but also it's a sign of the times, right? And so it's uh, it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg, but just how these cycles and bubbles keep keep kind of recurring. And, and that's you know the thing too. It's like you know there was a unicorn stampede, and it was Uber and and WeWork and Theranos and all this stuff, and it's like everyone talks about unicorns and it's like unicorns don't exist for a reason. You know what I mean? And it's like, everyone so wants to be part of the thing. I mean, it's shark tank. It's, 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 it's a lottery ticket. And when they hit like Masa, Masa invested, I can't remember how much, $200 million or whatever it was in Alibaba turned into 30 right. billion. Yeah. Right? 20 million, 20 million. Yeah. 20 million. And so you look at something like that and you're like, is this guy have the Midas touch? Uh, is Masa a genius? And it's like, for every one of the Alibabas before and after that, there are hundreds of companies that he completely whiffed on. And so, you know, it's like you look at these guys and it's like, oh, is he a master investor? It's like, no, he takes crazy swings. And when you take crazy swings, yes, you're going to hit you're going to hit a few out of the park. All right. This question's for Lee. But I mean, your story is pretty incredible when you think about going from advanced refrigeration, like, <laughs> and then now you're in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't know. Did Jim and you ever talk about like your goals? What's that? that was, did what? <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is back to a joke that I've shared with the audience. Is we had John in studio once promoting a movie at ESPN. It was just him and I, and I was kind of like, "Do I take a big swing here? And just try something really stupid and something different, and pretend the office was real and be like, <laughs> be like I can't. Like this is huge for you, man. Like you've blown up." And take it seriously. And I just, I went, I played it straight because I was like, I don't know him. I was like, this is a whiff. And then we went to commercial. He was super nice. And I was like, hey, I was going to try this thing. And he was like, oh, that would have been really funny. And it was code for like, that was fucking a stupid idea. Like I could tell, the, I could tell the way he gave me kind of the blow off. Like, oh yeah, that would have been funny. Um, for those that don't know, Lee worked on The Office for a long time. And he was, he was, uh, you were one of the drug dealers, right? For- I was best known for all my five years on The Office. I was best known for playing Gino, uh, advanced refrigeration. Yes. And you know, all the, you know, the evolution from Gino and my, my four episodes that I get residuals from <laughs> to writing uh we crash is, you know, it's a natural progression of Hollywood. No, but there are, there are subtle things. I'm, I'm not saying like, I'm always able to detect it. And I know, you know, your career outside of that in comedy is, is terrific, but I think people that can write comedy as well. And just, the subtle things in the office, I still, you know, I've talked about it before on the podcast. They're brilliant. There's things you don't always catch the first time. There's just, you know, like something as dumb as when Dwight turns to the camera and says, I see dead people, or he was dead the whole time. And I just think about the writer's room being like, did, you know, did Rain know to do that? Or would somebody in the writer's room be like, you know, what would be brilliant is if Dwight turns and goes, he's dead the whole time, blowing the sixth sense uh, suspense. I think when you learn like those beats that are that subtle, then I'm not saying like drama is easier, but I feel like when you have that background, like you guys do, and, and certainly those years in the office with you, Lee, I, I think it, it sets a template for like some really incredible stuff. You can be subtle. You can be funny without distracting from everything else you're doing. I think that, I think that, there, you know, we talked a lot about tone with this and uh, John Recco and Glenn Ficarra, who did this as us and crazy, stupid love and uh, whiskey tango Foxtrot, like, and they, and they wrote bad, Santa. And they wrote bad Santa. I mean, we talked about kind of like, you know, they talked a lot about mixed tone and that was something that Drew and I, I mean, there was so much, there's so much comedy in the story of WeWork and, you know, you'd hear from, you know, we talked to former employees and people that knew Adam and Rebecca and there are times where they're ridiculous and we, 
we didn't want to shy away from that. We also didn't want the jokes to be, like I said before, it's like we weren't looking to kind of just take swings at them always. And so, you know, with this show, you know, we have the scene where Rebecca is performing with the Russian accent and she takes this big swing and does that really kind of <laughs> rocky accent. And that seems funny. And we had a lot of conversations with Annie about what it meant. And what's really most important about that is not that scene and not the laughs that come from that scene. It's the moment afterwards where she realizes that she'll never have a career in this and it doesn't matter. And she's in the staircase by herself. She has the flowers that Adam gave her and she just breaks down. And that to me, as I mean, in all seriousness, as I kind of think about the way my writing has evolved, those types of scenes and the mix of one of those scenes to the next, that's what interests me most as a storyteller. And, you know, even, you know, going so far as far back as The Office, I mean, one of the things we talked about on The Office so much, we would spend the amount of time we spent on Jim and Pam and trying to get the, that story done right uh, for how much screen time it got. We spent, I mean, it was probably 50-50 with that and like, you know, what Dwight talking heads about, like, you know, skinning a raccoon and how delicious like the inner flesh is of a raccoon. Like, you're just weighing those things equally, even though one of them, you know, is 10%, but it's just, it's all those small touches. And I think when you connect to characters, when an audience connect, can connect to characters and laugh with them, laugh at them, but also just feel that pathos, that to me is, it's really hard to pull off, but that's the thing that I'm always gunning for. And that's what we were trying to do so much in the show. Was the Andy acapella thing based on Coco Bo from Connecticut College? <laughs> I, my, my old writing partner, Gene Sibnitsky, uh, read some article somewhere that people from Cornell were really, uh, were, you know, felt had like kind of an inferiority complex in terms of the, uh, in terms of the Ivies. So that's how the Cornell part arrived. And then I don't, I think because I think because Ed sings, I think we just started talking about it. I wish the Cocobo was the uh, the inspiration. Because the only reason I remember is because growing up on the vineyard and being there during the summer is those oh, guys. Those guys started hanging out and like they would just break out in song. And yes. dudes yes. were dudes like I'll just I think it's a very known thing. Now there's not a lot of guys going. You've got to meet my friends from this acapella group. They're the best. I <laughs> you know what I mean. And which is which is shitty. It's I know I'm dumping on the acapella fraternity here. I we respect the 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 talent i respect it all but then they changed their name to the vineyard sound so the natives the natives started being like you guys are from like westport you know we don't what's what's going on here so i always wonder if there was that connection there Um, not a fun fact but i auditioned for the kokobo and (laughs) like i didn't just get rejected it was like i can't sing i think i'm tone deaf and i and i auditioned because i was like oh these guys are cool so that that (laughs) things have gotten better since then but that 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 is those are early days all right, I gotta bring it back because I don't want to lose everybody. Like, what the hell are they talking about? But I was in I was in the chorus when I, I when I was Drew was like, wait, how long was this? Soon? These are some deep cuts. <laughs> these these really are. Uh, all right, I'll ask. I'll start with you here, Drew. Did Adam Rebecca have? Was there any consultation? None. We purposefully, people people don't believe you, huh? Yeah. No. We we have pur- we purposefully stayed away. I mean, we knew that. You know, we wanted to really kind of tell the story we wanted to tell. And like, if we let them into the process, like we wouldn't have been able to go the places that the the show goes. And so we just, uh, we just kept them at arm's length and just kind of told our story. By the way, that's the best. I can imagine those two being like, yes, we'd like to be involved in this. So I kind of knew the answer, but it's just weird reading a lot of stuff about it. And people were like, oh, you know, there's probably, okay, here's, here's the final question though. Cause I think we all know the answer to this one. Lee, do you think that they've watched the show? 
I think, I think they've definitely watched the show. And it's funny. I spoke to someone who knows them. I said, do you think they would watch the show? And they go, they would absolutely watch the show. I mean, also you have Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway playing you. I mean, I do believe that they're narcissists. I would, I, I, the, 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 the lethal combo of narcissism and two Oscar winners playing you. I, I mean, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're tuning into, uh, you know, Ptolemy Gray or something. Yeah, there's no, there's no, like, you know, <laughs> they're like, yeah, actually, we're, we're way into severance right now. So when, it drops at, when it drops at midnight, they're tuning in. <laughs> That's my favorite part is you, especially on the West Coast. I'll be like, oh, wait. <laughs> I, I got it right. I got it a day early. Um, so there you go. If you're on the West Coast, it'll be Thursday nights. It's Friday for everybody else. It's on Apple TV. It is terrific. It's We Crash. And uh, I want to thank Lee and Drew again. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So... Now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. We got a mustache filter from Kyle here. <laughs> we got it. Is that from Max Homa? Sure. Yeah, let's 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 put a reason on it. All right. Love it. I almost texted Homa uh, where I was like, hey, can we talk about do you have like 10 minutes today? I'll see you the masters just to see. If you'd be like, are you an asshole? Like, just see how much of a people pleaser it really is. No, I did call him once on a Sunday during a tournament when he got caught. <laughs> and I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, are you serious? I was like, oh, I actually had a question. It's, it's, he's like, yeah, I didn't make the cut. I'm like, no, I know. That's why I called. He's like, well, <laughs> he's like, I'm golfing. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I was like, I have a, it was actually a very serious question. It needed to be answered. And he was not upset about it, but it was. I think he was kind of like, wait, did you not know I made the cut? Or do you think I was, and you just called me on a Sunday? But he was out grinding, folks. So I'll just tell you that. So we'll see how that plays out for him by the time this releases. Okay, we had a lot of response to the fiance saying he didn't want his fiance. I don't know that we've ever had this many people agree on the same thing. The baby arms thing, I'm not even going to bother. A hundred emails on baby arms. May have been 50-50 down the middle. Like, you don't get bigger arms from holding babies. Guys giving me 
arm size increases. You absolutely do. Saruti, you're shaking your head right now. There's 50 emails here from guys claiming you absolutely get bigger arms. And the thing okay. is, I think it's a, I think it's a lot about training. Like certain guys be like, I just do calves and genetically they just don't get any bigger. And then other guys are like, you can figure out a way to work it out the right way. All of us are different. You need to find your routine. I do think the genetic calf thing is a little bit true, but you're so dismissive of this baby arms thing. I got 50 adult males here ready to tell you you're wrong. I'm not saying that your arms can't get a little bit more toned or get slightly bigger. My issue was, didn't this guy, he, the guy said he was jacked. Like his arms are literally too big because of the baby. That's impossible. Like, yeah, you can go up and get a little bit stronger and, you know, maybe look a little bit more ripped. I'm not, you're not getting bulky and too big because you're holding a baby. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. think you're sorry. Yeah, you're right. I'm not sorry. sorry. Actually, you know what? You're right. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I don't think Damn you're it. sorry, pal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got called a uh, D-bag pretty heavily this morning on Twitter because I sent out the Jokic and B double team tweet um, because I've seen a lot of a lot of blue checks. It was basically for the blue checks. So I'm like, stop saying the reason Embiid's the MVP over Jokic is he gets double teamed more because the reason Jokic doesn't get double teamed as much is because people are afraid to leave the shooters and leave the cutters because he dices them up passing. As we heard in that Timberwolves game where Finch's entire T-Wolves, excuse me, Timberwolves staff was screaming, stay home, stay home, stay home, stay home, stay home. So when I see like really educated basketball people saying, well, Embiid gets doubled more, so he's the MVP. Like he may be the MVP, but that's not the reason because it's different basketball philosophies. All right, needed to get that one off my chest because that's wow, usually yeah. when I say something like that, it's usually aimed at like a handful of people. It's yeah. very specific. It's not me actually trying to be like I'm so smart and I understand basketball. It's me being like, how come smart basketball people are pretending this is not the reason why this is happening? All right, so like, back ran to, out of time in the open, huh? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so I don't know. Do we? I don't know what else to say on the big arms thing. We're going to disagree. I think this kid might just have, you know, when he works the arms, when they're engaged, you know, those aminos start flying and, and there you go. But people were all over the place. Everyone agreed though, about the guy not wanting his fiance to go to the wedding or whatever. I don't think we saw one thing from anybody. We had some other people like, like this guy got lit up in the responses and I'm not sure there's much value to be. I mean, we ripped them apart for 20 minutes. I don't, I think the limbs are in the woods in different sections. So, <laughs> right. Are we all on the same page? Do we need no, more on this? That was great. Funny meme. Frame it. You're famous now, dude. Good for you. Cause I did retweet the guy that was like, you go on your favorite pod. <laughs> yeah. I, do you yeah. think that was him? I don't no. think I don't it think was it was no, 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 I don't no, think no. It. he's he made sure to tell people's like, just so you guys know, I'm not the guy. Oh, yeah. okay. He did say yeah. that. All right. I missed yeah. that. Part. I'm not the mark. I just. <laughs> Yeah, because you got to imagine that guy's like, do I want to listen to this podcast anymore? <laughs> I would right. love to have that guy on, though, and be like, did you how, you thought this was going to go way differently? <laughs> I just and I want I want to break down like exactly where he thought that we were going to side with him on any of these different things, because he was universally wrong by the three of us and basically all of social media. We've never had anybody. We've never had any topic on, on life advice that has had that much agreement ever. Yep. Like we could have a murder where there'd be guys going, eh, I don't know. <laughs> uh but we usually keep yeah we don't usually do the murder ones um no, that yeah. we get yeah let's try to stay away from those okay uh all right we'll do a gym one has it been a little while so we've done a gym one i think it's been a while all right 34 5 9 155 but people say i look 165 well holy shit man that's great news never maxed out can do 20 pull-ups uh but maybe since i'm only pulling 155 good for you no desire to be super ripped. Just want to look decent at the beach. Okay, man. Got it. Some of you guys are giving us some intense prologues to the email about your body type. I respect that, though. I respect right. that. 
because if there's a guy who's like, I just want to get ripped to look good at the beach, like, I don't know if I'm hanging out with that guy. If there's a guy who's like, hey, I just want to look good, don't want people to embarrass myself in front of everybody else, then yeah, that's good. That's a totally different vibe. Do you ever want to get Jack Cerruti? No, never. You would no. hate it. You would not no. want to. I described like if I ever wanted to get, and I don't really work out a ton in that way, and my bench would probably be embarrassing, whatever my max is. I don't even know what it would be, to be honest with you. I think I could do 135, but it's been a while. Um, but I don't like those dudes that are too big. I, I, I would want to be like rock star Rick, where I'm just huh? skinny, but like you could see the muscle kind of situation. But you oh, really? Be, you like that skinny, effeminate thing? No I way, probably have to do, I probably have to do way more drugs to, to, to get that to get that kind of body too. But uh, no, I would never want to be both. Never. Kyle, you want to be jacked. I know deep down you want to be. I want to be. You know what they say? I think toned is the word. I want to be toned. What do you think about that? I think, I that's think fair. I think. Wait, so Srudy, you said you don't like those guys. Like you don't like the weight on them, or you just don't really yeah, like, you want to be here? friends with them. Um, no, one of my best friends is a bulker. He's huge. And I tell him all the time, like, I think you kind of look ridiculous. Like you look, you're too big. There's how much there's does he weigh? Thing. Uh, well, he's short too. So he, there's, you know, there's a little bit of an overcompensation thing. He's five, uh -oh. seven. He loves to tell us that uh -oh. he's average, um, which is fine, but he's definitely like the most jacked out of all my friend group. But there's a reason he's jacked. It's because he's the shortest guy in the friend group. Um, and five, seven I, I, average. and you know, I, he's, he, it's just, it's too, he's too wide and he's he, like, it's not like a fat thing. He's not like. He, he's pretty much all muscle, but it just looks too bulky. It's not my not my preferred body type. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, all established. Okay, so back to the email. <laughs> mm, I've been going to my current gym for about a year now since moving to a new country. It's pretty standard. He doesn't tell me which country, by the way. Um, most people know what they're doing. Trainers walking around doing trainer things. About halfway through my workout today, a new trainer about my height and build came right up to me in the middle of a set. Uh -oh. obnoxiously close. I stopped, took off my headphones and asked, what's up? He proceeded to correct my form, then walked over to the dumbbell rack and brought me lighter weights. Ease. Hard out. I was doing lateral deltoid raises with 12 kilograms. All right. He said my elbows weren't high enough. I think that puts us at what? 25 pound dumbbell. Get somebody on that. Um, <laughs> He said, he said, my elbows weren't high enough. I humored him for about a minute and just said, okay, I put back all the weights without doing a second set and moved on to a new workout. Oh, wow. First set interruption. You just said, screw it. New routine. Uh, isn't it an unwritten rule to not give unsolicited form advice to someone unless they are clearly a novice or doing something that's dangerous? I'm no Rosillo, but I'm obviously someone who's familiar. I wouldn't say all my form is all that great. Female trainer came up to me, Equinox. She was watching my squat. She's like, yeah, I think you need to kind of tweak something here. Um, and I'll tell you, I didn't love it. I didn't love it right away. But you know what? She was right. She had me change my foot placement and uh, maybe 10% stronger immediately. And now we're now we're great friends. Do you think if it was a guy, you'd be writing into this? And if it wasn't a female trainer? I'll admit the fact that I didn't know anyone at the time when she did it. I was kind of like, what? And uh, seriously going to punk me right here? Yeah, everybody? but I mean, it was a very small adjustment. She's like, move your right foot up another like inch or so here and she's like you'll notice it in your hips and she's like and keep it keep the pressure on the outside and i was like oh my god like she just unlocked so now I, wow i'm surprised i didn't propose to her but uh <laughs> like right there I'm like what are you what are you doing later um so i i think it's this is shitty though this is as you're doing it he interrupts you as you're doing the actual motion that's unheard of Again, my only time I've ever done anything, I, I don't even think it's a handful of times, I'll see some young kid 
doing some sort of shoulder exercise where he has way too much fucking weight because he can get a few reps. He thinks he can handle it. And all I'm watching him do is like, you're going to fuck yourself up. And I used to do military overhead, way too much weight. And I have a recurring thing in my shoulder blade that's just never going to go away. It's better now, but it goes. It just goes because I did it wrong. So I see a younger dude doing this and I get it. Like being a really skinny kid growing up, you want to show that you can do some stuff. So that's the only time I ever interrupt. Um, and I've got to see a guy that looks like he's going to absolutely wreck him. Over a certain age, I'm like, fuck it. I'm not, you're, you're a guy, I'm a guy, <laughs> I'm not going to help. Um, and I'm not pretending that I have everything down perfectly. Anyway, this is, you're right. You're right to be annoyed by this because mid- rep stand right next to you and all that stuff now originally when we were reading this i thought never underestimate like trainers trying to get clients and just going up to people and being like hey maybe i can help but this is clearly not the way to do it i would say any trainer that's listening to this would agree and even if this person is pushing training sessions and that kind of stuff this is the best way to not get hired to do any of these training sessions so uh you're totally in the right he did send a picture Hey, man, good looking guy. I, I don't really know what the picture tells us. Looks like there's some shoulder definition. Uh, again, his shirt isn't off. It's sort of a, uh, it looks like an avatar picture on top of everything else. Um, I don't think there's really much debate here. I, I know what he's saying. Like the elbows need to come up a little bit higher on that thing. And you get that nice burn on this kind of stuff. You should always go kind of light, honestly, because it's more about the movement and getting that burn in there than going super heavy on some of these things. And I think there's just some shoulder weird stuff that can always, um, you know, that's when you go a little heavy with that stuff, man, as you get older, it can get a little, you know, I fuck myself up. That's usually every six months. That's how I'll fuck myself up. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have read this one. Maybe it wasn't super interesting. Did he send you a picture of his form or he sent you a picture of himself? What was the picture? Did he like have somebody show? Was he showing you what he was doing when he was corrected or what was this picture? Nope. Not even close bathroom mirror going on in the background, but it's kind of spun oh, the other cute. way. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it looks like. Uh, if, if you were, if you were, I don't know, like if, if there were a woman involved, it'd be like, Hey, this is what I look like kind of picture. Got it. But there are no women Got on the show. So, nope. Mm. Uh, he also said that his mother is a 65 year old Jamaican that is a regular listener of the pod. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. Cause you know, my love for Jamaica, uh, I, that's, that's one of the coolest things ever. So shout out to the mom here. Although now wait, did we expose him? To the mom, she listens to the pod all the time. No, we took his side. He's just lifting. No, we're yeah. good here. Yeah, let's let's not be hypersensitive to. Congrats on your son. Yeah, he sounds like a great kid. On your hot takes. Yeah, he's a good looking guy. <laughs> takes a hell of a picture. I want to know did did she start listening to the pod because of him or vice versa? Like who listened to the pod first? Right? Did he was like, hey mom, I got this sick pod. You should check this out. Priscilla, what's up? He's like, just fast forward to the uh, end. Maybe she <laughs> remembers time code. <laughs> maybe she remembers me from risky business. That's a that's a club in the grill. They were like, nice. Brian, I told you that story, right? So Rudy, where the I guy was like, the guy was, I was, he was like annoyed that when I was DJing, I wasn't talking enough. And the guy that ran it was like, Hey, you need to talk more. I was like, I don't really want to do that. And he was like, well, he goes down here. He's like, they talk at the beginning of the song. They talk like in the middle of the song and the songs go quicker. And then you sort of play the same song like 10 times in a row. And remix. he's like, you've never, you've never experienced anything like it. He's like, and then talk at the end. And he goes, and when you think you're not talking enough, talk a little bit more or no, 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 this is the way he said, he goes, when you're talking, when you think you're talking a little too much, talk a little bit more. That, that was what it was. And then he, the guy came over that ran the place 
And uh, it was crazy. His name was Brian Jarden. And he looked like, I don't know, he looked like. This is like Brian, your own version of the guy at the gym. He's like yeah, giving no. you an unsolicited uh, like DJing well, he, advice. He that you owned didn't want. the place. He owned the club. Uh, he owned Margaritaville. And he he came up to me and was like, Ryan, you know, and it's crazy because the guy looked like Brian Cranston and just full-blown Jamaican accent, which people don't understand about Jamaica is that it's actually means like of many people. So there's like, you could have somebody who looks like your buddy's dad is an accountant and it's full-blown patois, you know, like you're like, oh, whoa, what the fuck? So anyway, they didn't love me because I was like, you know, I don't really want to just, you know, throw t-shirts and scream how you doing all day long. And they're like, yeah, that's kind of what it is. That's almost exactly... I was like, I thought I was just playing music. And they're like, no, you got to like, you got to do other stuff too. You're a hype man too. Yeah. yeah no. I, I, I was like, no, you. no. I was like, I'm bad at that. Bad teases. You should respond. Like, you ever heard Cascade's voice? Exactly. <laughs> you know, you ever heard Calvin Harris talk? Nope. Here you go. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I have no idea. I got to save this life advice. All right, let's get to a sports debate here. Um, 31 years old. I've thought about pivoting some of this where we have guys who've sent in emails about debates and they want a ruling on it, which is sort of life advice, but we could call it Judge Kyle. Uh, I don't know. I know how much Kyle loves the courtroom shows. He's like good at this. But, huge fan. All right, so this will be a little more conversational and not take forever uh, to get through what was <laughs> a pretty simple thing that we should have done. The efficiency rate, we, we're about 12 the VORP is real low on this one today. All right, 31 years old, 6'1", 180. Solid off-ball score that can handle point when needed and consistently grab rim. Sweet, what's up? Huh. There's been a debate within uh, a group of my friends which spans several years, and I figure with Ryan's expertise with the NFL salary cap and ability to weave through the nuances of a sports take. Okay. Uh, thus far, the group is split down the middle. The question is this. Playing in either the NFL or tennis, which sport would Spider-Man make the most money? Okay, Saruti, can you look up all like full value of Nadal or Federer peak years, considering all of the endorsement stuff too. And then look up Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, full, not just what his salary was, but endorsement shit as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Give me a second. No, no, no. Look that up. I'm going to keep reading. Yeah. And Kyle, you double Manning. Me. You're on Manning. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Kyle tennis guys. Sorry. Kyle's locked in. All right. So, so you do tennis. That makes more sense. Um, well, total, body type yeah, and just your vibe <laughs> in general. Uh, okay, so which sport would Spider Man make the most money? His total income would include salary, bonuses, incentives, and most importantly, endorsements. Also important to know, everyone is aware of the guy is Spider Man. All right, so he plays in his suit. People, he's Spider Man. Uh, the only caveat is he cannot use his webs during games. Fair, super strength, spidey sense, all are fair game. As a result, we all agree that regardless of the sport Spider Man plays, he's going to be the best player in the league. Uh, the group can also agree he would likely make the most money playing professional soccer as it's the most viewed sport in the world. Here are a few key points we always come back to. Pro tennis Spider-Man argument. Tennis is a much more popular sport globally compared to the NFL where the NFL isn't necessarily popular outside of the United States. Spider-Man would likely win every tournament, so his winnings eventually add up to a solid NFL year salary. Uh, he said Wimbledon winner in 2021 took home $2.4 million. I don't know. I don't know if your career your single year earnings if you won every tournament. I don't know that off the top of my head. This is why I have research uh, IT department here. So we're looking at this. You know, at the top end of what a quarterback would make, uh, 40, 45 million, say, average annual salary in the NFL. I don't know if you can win that in tennis. Again, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying it out loud. 
With tennis being a much larger global sport, someone with the popularity of a superhero, plus being the most dominant player in the sports history, he would make so much money in endorsements. It would be like characters from The Boys mixed with Michael Jordan. All fair. Pro football argument. The cap is going up. Sure is, buddy. Thanks for listening. If Mahomes could make $50 million a year, what would a guy who could throw further, run faster, jump higher, and likely won't get tackled by non-radioactive spider-bitten players get paid per year? Even though the NFL isn't as globally recognized as tennis, the sheer weight of freaking Spider-Man playing quarterback would give him enough endorsements to make up the secondary pay gap. A team would pay the other 52 players on the roster the minimum and pay whatever is left from the salary cap to pay Spider-Man. Uh, still up for debate on if this would yield a winning team. I've thought about this. Me too. I've thought about Spider-Man playing in the NFL for years, so that's why I was like, great pick, Kyle. Great pick. All right, let's run over some of the tennis numbers, Rudy. It looks like you may have some of them. Well, so Federer's made more than Nadal. So let's just do Federer. Okay. Um, $190 million. When did this article come out? Uh, oh, this is 2022. Okay. $190 million in earnings on the court. And he has a net worth of about half a billion dollars. All right, but that's not what we're interested in. Those net worth websites are always wrong. Do you have, is there a way you can figure out what he made in a single year? Like, do top, go 2020 or maybe not 2020, 2019. This says, this says $84 million in endorsement earnings, tops among all athletes, Dwarf, Djokovic, and Nadal. Uh, For a this, single year? That looks like, no, that can't be. $84 million in a year? That seems high. I don't think it is, man. It's definitely not for his career. This says Sportico estimates the 20-time Grand Slam champion has earned at least $1 billion during his career from prize money, endorsements, and appearance fees since he turned pro in 1998. Okay, so I just looked up in 2019 Forbes' highest paid athletes. So this is everything they made both in their respective sport and everything they made outside of it. So McGregor made $180 million. Messi made $130. Ronaldo made $120. Dak Prescott made $107 million which is more than Federer's 90 million. Lewis Hamilton made 82 million. Neymar made in 95. LeBron made about 100 million. All right, so that's that's all of it. So this actually tells us Dak being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and being good, but not, I wouldn't put him in the great category in the NFL, that he made more than Federer. Here's the thing. Is, even though there's a global part of this is a superhero playing a sport, you know, the NFL is not soccer. I think soccer makes it totally unfair because it'd be insane. I also wonder how Spider-Man would be at F1 with just the spider sense alone. You have to think, and he's not jacked, so it's not like he's the biggest guy ever. It's not like putting, you know, the Hulk in a Renault or something, right? Uh, I, I think it's the NFL because you could pay him whatever you wanted. You could pay him $100 million of the cap, and you'd win every game. Because think about it. With Spider-Man, He's just going to jump over everybody all the time. And he has a spider sense on top of that to anticipate anybody tackling. There's nothing you're going to be able to do with him. Hell, he could just play wide receiver and you could throw it straight up in the air and he'd go up and get it. So there's nothing you do. You can't put 11 at the goal line. You just to jump over those guys. There's no defense that's going to stop Spider-Man. He's going to score every single possession. So I think you could put 10 scrubs out there with him, give him all of the money, and it wouldn't matter about the rest of the cap. Whereas tennis, yeah, sure, he's going to win. I mean, he's going to be awesome. He's going to be awesome. There's a lot of sports I can't imagine he's not going to be good at. Um, but I, I still think the NFL here would play out a little bit better because the endorsement part of him being Wilt Chamberlain and also a superhero in the NFL, it'd be beyond Wilt Chamberlain. Again, it's not real, as I'm probably pretending it's a little too real. But go ahead, Sarudi. Maybe a stupid question, but like, would he be allowed to use his webs no, in the NFL was, in an NFL game? That's okay, in the email. So. Yeah. so it's out. Okay. 
So that's, that's the, out. Sorry, I was doing research. Never mind. I mean, Cut other than a, other than like them letting defenders, the secondary have crossbows, I don't really know how you would stop it. And then again, if a crossbow hit a fan, I don't know, the ratings probably wouldn't go down still with the NFL, but tenants might dip a little bit. As we've learned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Put some nets up. Yeah. No, but I've, I've thought a lot about the NFL superhero thing. Because like if you said, okay, Spider-Man, clear advantage, bunch of different stuff. We've already been over that. Superman just seems stupid. He's unfair. can fly. Batman were in the league. He'd probably just get fined for uniform violations the entire time. So I actually don't think Batman would be all that good. Batman would be a tough teammate, too. I don't think he'd last. Yeah, Almost right. You're like, man. what's this guy? Ton of, yeah. ton of off-field interests. Uh, Wolverine would never miss any games. He can't use his claws. It's ridiculous, right? But yeah, but he, I don't, he, he could tear his ACL and heal himself immediately. He's fine. Yeah, he could blow out an ACL and he'd have somebody on the sideline being like, Wolverine's good to go in the third quarter. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. Captain America, um, no shield. Yeah, I know he's super athletic and everything, but I think the speeches, there'd be a little Tebow vibe eventually with the teammates where they'd be, be like, like hey, man, yeah, like we fucking get it. Like we've done a lot. We've done a lot for the country, but like, you know, we got the Steelers. We got the Steelers this week. He beat um, one of your opens by year three. Like, all right, we've enough already. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man, don't be ridiculous. The Hulk would be killing people. That's not cool. Get suspended by the league. Black Panther, I thought about that, but then, you know, the NFL, they probably make him a running back and those guys don't make that much anymore. <laughs> Um, Black Widow, probably better in the front office. I'm not 100 sure what she does. No, she's pretty. Uh, she's got some pretty good lateral quickness. I think. I think she'd be pretty good. Put her out wide. Give just like Tyree Kill. Give her some space. Give her the ball in space. Yeah. All right. I think we solved it. Yeah. I, I think that the it'd be a version of an NFL thing that we'd never seen before. In Federer versus Dak Prescott in 2019, Dak actually had more earnings. Unless the new Federer non Nike thing is bringing him in so much money, but he's also, you know, at the end of his career here a little bit. Uh, I'll go NFL because it'd be the most dominant player we've ever seen in team sports in the history of the United States in the most popular sport in the United States. And he just signed two-year deals all the time, right? Or a year deal even. It's like, fuck it, a year deal. Who's got the most money? Because we could just take over your team no matter who you are. Everyone gets a Super Bowl. Well, think about what Mahomes got. What, you know, half a billion dollars. And that's but that's for the 10 years. What if he's like, yeah, I want the same thing, but just a two year deal. That's it. New TV deal. Probably do that. Yeah. Yeah. New TV deal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think. we. uh, Yeah, I I think we're going to leave an NFL, even though I love the international. I'll go NFL, too. Okay, that's life advice. Sort of. Thanks to (laughs) Kyle and Steve. (laughs) Check us out. Bill Simmons and I on Sundays as we'll wrap up the regular season, get ready for the playoffs. We're back next Tuesday. Please subscribe. Ringer Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can. 
especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. 